Welcome to Mentorshift from your host, Mickey Fehir. If you're listening to this, I imagine one of your first question is, what is Mentorshift? In order to explain, let me ask you a question. How do you engage with other men when you first meet them? Do you treat them as a friend or a foe? A competitor or a mentor? Are you trying to find out what they do, what their net worth is? Are you trying to quickly size them up so that you can keep your shield up? Or do you approach them with curiosity and assuming they may know something you don't and therefore it might be worth listening to them? Being a mentor is a new role for us men. It's neither being a warrior nor being a wimp. It's showing up in peace and being the authentic you, the new normal. We all have our secret source and our own powerful life story and when we share that, we inspire each other to grow and reach to the next level in our lives. It takes courageous vulnerability. We need to shift from competitors to mentors. This is what we call the mentor shift and it leads to what we believe modern masculinity should be. And this is what this podcast is about. Hello and welcome. This is your host, Mickey Fair. I'm a speaker, executive coach, and psychologist for 15 years now. Before this, I worked for 17 years for large corporations. I consider myself lucky to have worked with CEOs and senior leadership teams of both small private companies and multi-billion dollar publicly traded organizations. As you can hear, I have an accent that I'm proud of and a very diverse cultural background. I have lived and worked all over the world, which taught me how to build bridges between different cultures and lifestyles. I help men find and understand the secret sauce that makes them uniquely them. And in this podcast, I'm talking to very successful businessmen and artists and scientists, as well as religious authorities in search of understanding and defining what modern masculinity is. My guest today is Mitchell Kanev, chairman and CEO of RK Packaging an almost 100 years old, incredibly successful family business. I personally think Mitchell is a great example of the modern man. And now, I will let this Renaissance man to introduce himself. Mickey, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm passionately been running a third generation, 98-year-old packaging business uh, that my grandfather started in 1922, an immigrant from Russia. And um, basically, we supply folding cartons or manufacture packaging here in the United States. We employ over 250 people in three different locations. And those boxes are made specifically for the con- consumer products industry, for people like Procter & Gamble. So we do all, all of the oil of LA packaging involved in Crest, as well as APDO business, which they call like Secret and Gillette and Old Spice. Estee Lauder is my largest customer. Wow. So. Yeah. We um, we supply the fashion industry, I guess is what you could call it. So I'm dealing with a lot of creative types, uh, marketing people, finance people. So I love it because it's a lot of people intensive. And um, But at the same breath, I'm very much an artist, as you kind of chatted a little bit about a producer, 
yeah. a writer, composer mm-hmm. of a band called The Young Presidents. I've got five albums out on Spotify <laughs> and iTunes, so I've been playing music my whole life, but it wouldn't pay the rent. But I, I feel that what's most important um, in this kind of topic that we're going to get into in a minute is tapping into your creative side. And you can bring that creative side to everything in your life. And so I've chosen to bring a lot of it to my family as well as to my business and to my friends. I've also started uh, very early on journaling at the age of about 15 recommendation from my headmaster in high school who saw sort of something in me. And um, I'm a student of the world. I was never a great student, but as soon as I got out of college, that's when I really started learning. And I've been journaling ever since. And I wrote a book on succession planning and family businesses because there wasn't one, there was no succession planning for dummies. And um, I interviewed a lot of family business owners and I'm actually involved in Columbia Family Business School in Tulane. I try to jump around a lot from my left hemisphere to right hemisphere part of my brain. I think it just keeps life more interesting. But at the same breath, um, my goal is really to help as many people as I can and to teach. And by teaching, I'm learning. So it's kind of that's kind of the theory of how I've been living my life. And um, yeah, it's a little bit about me. I, I really love the sound of that. And uh, just to say a little bit about how I started the mentorship project and how I started to have these conversations, w- what basically happened to me is I was, similarly to you, you know, I, I was always into art. I was writing poems. I was singing in a choir. And I was also very attracted to business. So I started my own business uh, at an early age. Then I kind of stopped and went into the corporate life. and. What I noticed that it's really easy for me to connect with men and women alike, and it's not really a question. It's more, it's more like, you know, it's a human being. It's an interesting human being. So I will approach everybody with curiosity. But at some point, when I, when I really got into psychology and I got my psychology degree, about 10 years into that, I noticed that I'm actually making friends with women and less so with men. And, and if I go to a reception, it will be easier for me to talk to women because women will open up very quickly and, and they'll be ready to jump in and talk about deeper stuff. Whereas my feeling was that men are kind of cautious and sizing each other up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if that's your experience. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting mm-hmm. if you think about both sex. Women on the other side share stories with me that they feel like that it's easier to open up to men because women are catty or they're competing against each other or they're right. fast talking. So it's kind of, they're usually in a very tight click, but bringing anybody new into that click is challenging. Um, I've always, like you are, been more attracted and easily found talking to women myself. But um, yeah, I think it's a competitive landscape. People are like worried about, well, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? Are you trying right. to screw me? Are you trying to turn one over on me? You know, in negotiations, there's always like, what's on my sheet and what's on your sheet? So the issue is kind of like guys are like, okay, does, is he interested in doing business with me? Is he trying to rip me off? Like, why do I need any more friends? Like, <clears throat> and for the most part, I've noticed, which I thought was interesting just lately is I like to say, is he interested and interesting? And I find a lot of guys could potentially right. be interesting, mm-hmm. but if because I find usually I'm a pretty good listener, um, but I also find that that people love to just talk about themselves. So getting people to open up is really the secret, as you know, about themselves. Um, but finding that two way street can be a little challenging at times. Yeah, interested and interesting. I like that. Yeah. So so one of the things that I started doing is organizing men's groups and I was actually targeting people who would never 
you know, I wouldn't say they, they would never attend psychotherapy, but, you know, they are not the type of people who would go to personal development and they would only go to see a therapist if they thought that, you know, things are really not working out well. So kind of the average guy, you know, somebody who runs a business, somebody who has a family and, you know, still, as, as you say, you know, they're, they're having a hard time to connect with other men and, you know, they, they keep friends from high school but they're, they're having trouble making new friends at the age of 40 or 45. I don't make any more friends. You know, I, I already have my friends. So well, I think being open and curious are the two key components to staying young. My dad just turned 89 and he's wow. my hero and he's been my mentor and he's my best friend. And I say that too, because of this mutual respect we have for one another, but we both listen and he's very much a teacher. So I become a teacher because that's my mentor is helping others. But at the end of the day, you know, he just flew to Frankfurt to look at the latest technology on digital printing that we had, then went to Cape Town, South Africa and up to London at age 89. You know, so again, I'm, I'm, I hope that I'm in that condition or I live to be that long to be able to do that. But I guess what I'm agreeing with you in is that he's just open. And I think what happens is as males, we either get burned, we get screwed. Uh, someone steals our girls, someone takes our business, someone does something. And it causes a lot of um, kind of lack of trust of what is the uh, intention of that other male like why you know there's actually the movie i love you man which is a very funny movie on a guy right. i don't know if you know the premise who basically doesn't have any guy friends and how to find a you know just a bro friend <laughs> you know it's hard out in 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 life just to, to connect to new people so i think the word is being open and um you know having your shield up but at the same time being willing to kind of potentially get hurt or have your trust broken because if you keep walking around closed uh, I, I think that's the challenge too. We have to continue to remain open. I mean, I just got divorced after 22 years and I'm still out there just believing in love and I'm still believing in, in the people for the most part do the right thing and really are good. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to change who I am because there's some bad apples out there. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. The question of modern masculinity, you know, some people, if I ask the question, what does modern masculinity mean for you? You know, some people say, you know, we, we don't really need to have a conversation about this because we are beyond that. You know, we are humans and masculinity and femininity is just binary and, you know, humanity needs to move past that. But th there are a lot of people who are asking questions about, okay, so what does it mean in 2020 to be a guy? Uh, what do I teach to my son? So I guess my question to you is, how would you define modern masculinity? What does that mean to you if I say those words? Well, I think it's, a, it's, not, um, it's not something that is discussed a lot. I got involved in a lot of early workshops and didn't get my degree in psychology, but I've always loved pop psychology. I started with M. Scott Peck and the road, mm -hmm. road Less Traveled. I started that process 20 years ago, and I do the work on a consistent basis. Uh, what I tell my boys, because that was the question I think you were asking, is really yeah. I say, you know, it's all about believing in yourself. It all starts from within. I mean, you can look outside for a friend or a guy or this, but the um, to really focus on growing all the attributes that really give you a sense of, um, you know, purpose. I, you know, it, it's it's so complicated, but I try to keep it easy by saying, just be true to who you are. And you'd be able to say, 
yes to things when you want and no to things when you want. And I use the word boundaries. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to make sure that we take care of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I think that's what a modern male is about. It's being able to say, hey, listen, I'm in pain. I'm going to express that. And you know what? By the way, I'm going to feel so much better if I have to bawl my eyes out and cry. But we grow up in a society that just has for years said, no, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's not manly. That's stop acting like a woman. You know, it's and how is that a bad thing to act like a woman? If you look at it statistically, women live two years longer than we do. And I believe a metaphysical aspect is because we suppress and repress so much stuff emotionally and spiritually inside of ourselves that it creates disease and high blood pressure and cancer. And I think that if we can let that out, uh, those are ways to heal. So um, I think there were two things that you know you and I talked briefly about. I think a huge word is empathy. I think the problem with our planet right now is everyone's screaming at each other. Everyone is trolling each other. No one is really listening to the other side, whether it's political, whether it's the Me Too movement, men or women, whether it's the transgender you know community. I think being open was the word we started with and i would kind of wrap it up and say we need to be open from a way to say hey they're different from me but that's okay and be able to say why are they different and be curious like you said earlier too if we're curious then we're willing to learn but if we shut that down and we're not willing to be open and we don't want to learn that's when all the problems happen and that's kind of what you see happening in the media that's what you see happen politically and it it just makes me sad because I, I, I long for, I feel like yeah. an old man, I long for the old days when there was this sense of like innocence a little bit and, um, and more community. You know, everyone's isolated in their phones and we become cyborgs. And it's going to, unfortunately, I think just get worse. But I'm an optimist, so I believe in the future. I just think what's important is that we keep listening, we keep our eyes open, our hearts open, and we stay curious. I'm wondering what was the trigger for you because you said you started this work a long time ago. Yes. So I, I don't know if you can share anything. Yeah, sure, of course. So like how did that come up? The, how did the well, I was struggling to have children. I was going through a really bad time. I had my, my ex had a, a miscarriage and we were going through, I, I lost a 40 year client of, uh, I don't mm. know, 25% of my business. I was involved with a, 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 a um, environmental false newspaper like, Everyone believes what they read story with Elliot Spitzer and I was in newspapers and it was just like, could it continue to get any worse? And my brother-in-law at the time said, Hey, you know, there's this weekend coming up and he'd been doing this warrior training for a number of weeks. He was a, you know, a DLJ, um, uh, ex Morgan Stanley partner, you know, one of these right. straight laced guys. And here he is jumping into this spiritual stuff and he never told me anything. It's like like my boys are rushing right now, and they won't tell me a single thing about what's going on in the frat. Well, it's the same thing. I'm like, well, I, I, what's the deal? He's like, listen. And he told me nothing, but the, the last sentence he said is, Mitch, I think you could help a lot of men. <laughs> and for me, I'm I'm a helper. So that, that resonates. I'm like, okay. And, he's, and I was like, if this guy could have done it, then I can go do it. So that's where my ego jumped in and said, let me go check this out. And it was one of the greatest um, life-changing weekends of my life. Um, and I got into issues I had with my mother and issues I had with my dad. And, you know, I did a lot of work around that. And I came out kind of just saying, you know, this is the path I want to choose. I want to really continue to figure out we're only as healthy as our deepest wounds. And I just wanted to keep looking at like, 
why I acted this way or what was my shadow and how come it was, you know, constantly making me act small. And I think once that turned, my whole life changed. I mean, my family blossomed, my business blossomed. I started becoming creative. I went out and at age 40, started in a rock band. I'm, I started playing New York City. And next thing you know, I'm on the East Coast to West Coast tour. And anyway, it just was, it was really, that was it for me. It was just, I, I didn't hit bottom, but man, my life was really kind of spiraling down and it, it saved me. So, you know, the modern element of masculinity that we are talking about here is the, the ability to express vulnerability, right? So if, if something hurts, I should be able to talk about it without fear for being too, you know, not man enough and being sensitive and open to other people and, and listen. And that, that opens up bridges and, and opportunities. And, and I'm just wondering, is this a new idea, you think? So is this modern? masculinity or or has it always been like a, a good successful healthy man maybe it's an archaic idea right so listening being open yeah you know i think it's really difficult i think the me too movement has been quite a challenge for our society as of yeah. let's face it at the end of the day you and i are both animals and the other side the women are animals and what we've got DNA in and, and kind of genetically built in things to procreate this planet to make sure that we continue to move on. So some of the way that we treat one another sometimes is not very clean and can be violent and can be horrible. But, you know, when we take all the clothes off and we, we put down the, the, the laws and the religion, you know, those things are made to keep us together, you know, without raping and pillaging each other on a daily basis or screwing each other. But I think what was interesting is when I did the Warriors, the, the whole philosophy behind the concept behind these weekends was that in the early 1800s um, and prior to the Industrial Revolution, you know, the American Indians would take their men and tell the women, we're going to basically initiate these men. We'll be back and we're going. And these boys, they wouldn't tell the wives where they're going and they would just take the men and right. disappeared. Yeah. They learned how to fish, how to hunt, how to, how to treat each other. Same thing with the cowboys, you know, but then the, then the factories came and all of a sudden all the men disappeared, all the mentoring, all the modeling, all the coaching, all the fathers. So the boys were left to do what? Get in the gangs. Basically that was, we all want to be part of a community, right? So um, it's been a challenge, I think for the last, you know, almost 150 years now where it's it's just been exacerbated by this kind of disconnection and if you look at you know eth you know ethnic sides there's some groups and communities where there's no father at all there's no masculine presence in there so how do i treat um fellow men and how do i treat you know women so i think there's there's a deeply rooted um issue in our society and I don't have the answer for it other than, like you said, I'm trying to model boys and people around me and say, this is how I treat the people in my life. These are the, yeah. I always say, whatever, what I want to work for myself. That's why I, I say, if I want to work for me, then I think I'm doing an okay job. And it's a constant work in process. I mean, there's days that I screw up like crazy, but I'm open to say, please, you know, like you said, be vulnerable and also be willing to take some news that I may not like to hear and go, okay, let me process that and say, you know, maybe there's a little bit of, maybe you're 25% right with that comment about yeah. how I just acted. But I think it's about being willing to be open. And um, I, I think it's been around for a long time. I think we're just going through a lot of confusion right now 
And this whole internet thing that we're on, obviously, and connectivity is exacerbated by just so much noise. I mean, there's no meditation. I mean, a meditation is making a comeback right now. Where do we ever just shut down? I mean, the screens are everywhere. They're in yeah. taxi cabs. Yeah, there's everywhere. no off time at all. There's no time to be bored. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting. What, what I'm noticing is that the people that you were describing that are interesting and interested in others that don't, you know, some of them are actually religious. Um, so it's not, it's not religion that separates people. It's the, the way people use religion because religion is supposed to, I think, connect us rather than separate us. And I think the greatest examples of people like Gandhi, he, he, he was not someone who would separate people. He was someone who would unite people. Mm. So I think there's something about this idea of purpose, you know, people who have a higher purpose, who have an intention to make a, an impact on other people, on, on, on their family, on, on a larger community. Those people are, you know, by default, more open and more interested because, you know, they're looking for the things that connect us rather than the things that separate us. Yeah, and I didn't mean it in any bad way. I mean, listen, yeah. respect everybody's religion. I think the challenge, though, is that some religions or some people get very uh, extreme in their viewpoints that they won't That's accept true. anything else. So all I'm saying is that we're all brothers of this planet. We're all brothers and sisters. Brothers of and sisters, planet. yeah. And, you know, we all have, we're, we're, we're human. And the challenge, yeah. though, is we've got this rage and this anger and these resentments and we hold on to so much stuff i think that's the other challenge too it's like i hate to use that old buddhist expression but let that shit go is like one of my mantras yeah. too it's like i have to you know holding on to stuff only creates you know i just think unfortunately negative things and especially if you don't share like the other thing is i believe in clearing like a modern man needs to be say hey you know when we meet in that meeting the other day you know the fact that you said that in front of the rest of our peers really put me in a position of weakness and I look silly. If there's something like that in the future, what I would ask you to do is like pull me aside behind closed doors and walk me through what I did and maybe how I could learn from that. You know, but that's not done all the time. It's more of just blaming and shaming. So I changed that in my organization to like almost like Ray Dalio wrote a book, Principles, recently, and he talked about radical transparency. Now, I don't believe in everything that he did, but I really believe that I share everything with my employees, finances, quality, what's happening with our clients. And I try to you know, share with them all the profits with the company. So, you know, I think, that, and if we do offsite retreats too, I'm going to sit there and go, either I'm scared or I'm not sure this is going to work. And I really hope we can get through this because I think it'll be, and everyone all of a sudden starts opening up because like, well, look, the boss is scared than he's yeah. human, you know? So I think that's it. It's just speaking truth. And, um, you know, if we can be authentic, then we can be real men. If we're not authentic and we come out lashing and slashing, that's, that's the, that's not an authentic man. That's not a masculine man. That's a, that's a fearful, angry, scared man. As you grew up, did you have a model for this? Oh, yeah. Did you, did you have someone who was kind of embodying all of that? Yeah, I have to say, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, um, my dad has just turned 89, is my best friend, my hero, my mentor. I mean, the guy just, you know, he works out every day, he just play tennis. We've skied up to age 85. But the real issue for me was, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln once said, you know, sometimes you learn uh, from people what not to do as well as what to do. 
And he gave me so many gifts on what to do. But he also came up from an immigrant father who was a little bit emotional and a little bit tyrannical in the office. And I would watch him in meetings and, and whether he slammed his hand on the desk or something and everyone would shut down. And I, you know, the way he and I are like, you know, we talk every day, so it's not, but people would shut down. And, and as soon as I got in charge, I, I said, no, I want to hear, why don't you think that's going to work? Like I, you have to value everybody. And if you take that respect level down to the person at every level, no matter where they are, they've got a story, they've got a family, they're coming from some background that you have no idea. And they're just like you. So I think, um, the key is to be open to learn not only the good things in those people around you, but maybe can you adopt different things? Um, and that was a great gift. So I, um, you know, it's not about me and it's about the company. And so that's how I try to run it. And how is everyone else doing? So my favorite line, I, lo- I like to say, instead of like, well, how are you doing? It's like, instead I'd walk around and go, how can I help you? You know, yeah. like what? Like, no, I mean, how can I help you? What's, What's going on for you right now? You know, how's what's happening at home? What's going on for your work right now? How can we make it better? So I don't know. I just think that's life. Um, if we help one another, this planet would be a whole lot better than if we just keep just looking out for ourselves. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, if you put all of this together, what we've been saying, be open, ask genuine and open questions that you mean to hear the answer to, right? Give feedback, speak the truth. If you're vulnerable, if you're feeling down, express it and don't pretend that, you know, everything is fine. You know, the, the recipe sounds simple. If it's that simple, why, why don't we do it? Because <laughs> it's work. Yeah. And again, you know, uh, listen, I'm grateful for my two boys and I'm grateful for how great a mother they had. But I think at the end of the day, without any sort of negativity, because I can, I just look at, you know, as a problem solver and a businessman, you know, at the end of the day, some people want to do the work. Yeah. People don't. And it's, and it's a matter of stepping into fear on what's the other side. You know, what could I look, what could show up in that mirror? A lot of people, why do you think we're the number one drug using country in the world? We don't like pain, any kind of pain. So we're going to take uh, amphetamines, we're going to take opiates, we're going to drink, we're going to smoke, we're going to do heroin, we're going to take fentanyl. I mean, it's crazy. So I think that's one of the big things is that we have got to get to a place where it's going to hurt a little. It's like yeah. you go to the doctor's office, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a hell of a lot, actually. But, you know, on the other side, there's a lot of healing. So it's not that easy. It's the opposite of easy. And it's... Um, and so, as I said, I started this process for me in 1998, and um, I'm still doing work. I'm still like, if if I don't learn something new every day, or if I don't step into something that scares me, and I feel like I'm not really living. But um, that's a big thing I share with my boys is also boundaries. Like, make sure you like say no if you need to say no, and you need to be able to take care of you because if you don't love yourself, you're not going to be able to love anyone else. And if you don't respect yourself, how can you respect anyone else? So I think those are the, the challenges, is that it's not easy. Hey, it's not easy. You're, you're, you're right. But, but also, you know, there's a price to not doing the work. Immediately, it feels like, you know, there's going to be some pain and I'm going to have to say something which I'm not really comfortable saying. And we don't know how you're going to react. Right. But if we do have that discussion, we, we know from research, for example, that trust in leadership teams, in companies, 
if people pretend to have an agreement, there's no trust. People are not going to keep you know, the agreement. They, they're not going to implement the decision. They're going to leave the room and they're going to start the, the gossip and a corridor talk and they're mm-hmm. going to talk out of the decision. But if there's a true conversation in that boardroom and people are willing to express, which might be a little painful and, and it might feel like a constructive conflict, but then if we reach an agreement, I think we're going to be committed to it. Otherwise, we feel like we made a decision, but will, will anyone keep it? Yeah. Um, so I think also when you're in that meeting, the challenge is, is there anything blocking you from being present? Generally, something I like to, con- to connect with the team on. Because yeah. if it is, not starting the meeting unless someone can say, are we ready to move on? Or is there an issue or some sidebar we need to have? I think... I think it's critical because once there's a broken link in, in any sort of container, the ship is going down <laughs> or that person needs to exit because they're not part of the consensus of the team. And I think the other word is like, well, what's the risk? Well, I could get fired. Well, maybe this isn't the job for you. Maybe you're going to blossom somewhere else, you know? So I think that becomes a challenge too. Is, uh, the word is change. And I think where people get complacent in work, in marriages and friendships, people stop trying. They stop going on dates. They stop being romantic. They stop actually performing. They stop saving. They stop whatever it looks like. I think it's the word, you know, I was at TED. I go to TED. I'll be going in, in April and I've been going for a number of years. I call it a brain spa. I come back and feel like I've done nothing in my life. You know, so it's very humbling and inspiring. But there was, a, there was something last year that went on. And if you could see two things in the world, you know, for yourself, what would they want? Well, and it, and it resonated a lot for me is I just want further connection, but I also want appreciation in the world and in my life. I mean, it's kind of like being seen. So if somebody's really interested in you, I'm being seen. So someone truly sees me for who I am. And I think that's, that's the root of any, any connection. Do you see me? And do I see you? And, and, and can we let each other know that we see each other and we like what we see? I think there's nothing more beautiful than that. So one, one other question I had, um, I also have kids, you know, 15 and, and 17, so they're not 19 like yours, but, you know, you, you went through those years. Did your boys ever come to you and ask you about masculinity? Did, did no. That, no. Uh-huh. no, no. And um, I love them so much. And um, I feel like Jack Lemmon said it best. I lost my son at 16 and I got him back at 21. So Mm. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I feel like we're continuing to grow together now that they're in school. And uh, there's a lot of questions around finance and life and et cetera. But um, yeah, you know, I just spent a lot of quality time with them. And my, my word I used a few minutes ago is just modeling. I'm just trying to model behavior whether it was a loving uh, father, loving husband, a interested um, dad, um, a teacher, but a disciplinarian. I tried to kind of just encapsulate all the things that I got and didn't get in my life. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I find that this generation is spending more time on their phone than they are out there connecting to them to whether it's their girlfriends or their guy friends so um they do have good friends and close friends so i'm hoping i'm thinking they're getting most of what they think they should know from their from that community i think there's also i don't want to say an age bias that's happened to this generation but i feel like there's this level of disrespect that's gone on more so than usual even though we've got some of the hippest older people on the planet 
I think the challenge is, is they, these, I hate to use the word kids, but younger generation think they know everything. And there's also this level of entitlement that frustrates me to this generation too. Like, no, if you actually put the time in and the 10,000 hours in, uh, like Malcolm Gladwell would say, that's when you achieve greatness. You know, you, you know, you look at Bruno Mars, he started performing at age three doing Elvis impersonations. Everyone like wonders why he's so great, but everyone thinks they can just be an instant sensation overnight doing nothing. So I think um, I think less coddling for this generation, a little bit more of a tough love will serve them, I think, a little bit more. Because with a little bit more grit, I think they will learn a bit more. I hope they come to me a little bit more with some questions about those things. One of my sons has, I won't mention which one, but, you know, it just takes time. I think it's, uh, I'm their dad, you know, versus like, you know, right. I'm really here. I, I've said it to one of my sons, I'm your number one fan and I'm here for you, and I'm on your team. So at the end of the day, you just have to remember that I'm on your team. This is not about trying to you know, hurt you or, or punish you. This is about like, I'm trying yeah. to help you through this process. I think that's our best hope because you know, as, as we know from psychology, the only kind of learning is self-discovery. There's no other learning truly. And, and, you know, people, so you can try to model something and they can try to model you. We, we hope for the best <laughs> because I think, you know, what we do is even, even if it's not like explicit learning and we are not sitting down and discussing, you know, mo modern masculinity, but you know, the way you are present in the family, the way they see you, you know, they, they're going to model a lot after you. Well, one thing I wrote down, which I thought was interesting, I just wanted to look at uh, my paper here, was, um, you know, I put down uh, taking inventory and self-reflection. So that's just basically what you said. I think, you know, for me, I just keep looking in the mirror because I just want to keep being a better man, you know. And if I screw up, I want to think about why I did, uh, how I did, and what's the, the life lesson from it. I think if we're open to our failures, You know, everyone's so scared of failing, but that's when all the lessons come is when we fail. So um, if there's any one thing that anybody listens to or remembers from this podcast in specific in specificity, it'd be journaling. Go out and get yourself, not your computer where you're typing. There's a scientific study that shows actually taking the ink and putting on paper, whether it's goals, gratitude, or just gibberish, it it's a it's a, a habit that really is um, you know, keeps me um, positive and, and excited about the future. So um, I think self-reflection is so important. Yeah. I mean, one of the things when, when um, I run these mentorship groups where, you know, guys like six, eight guys meet on a monthly basis, and, you know, they become essentially best friends and, and they share a lot with each other. And, you know, we do work you know, work related to purpose, work, work related to listening, because believe it or not, we almost like have to, no, no one teaches us how to listen. You know, like you think that's the easiest thing in the world, but how do you listen so that while the other person is talking, you're not running, you know, your own little story in your head and you're, you're truly there. It's, it's not that easy. And to be able to say, you know, I don't know how to listen and I want to learn it. I think it's a great admission, right? Well, that's APD. I think that's the other yeah. problem. And also the lot of, you know, I keep telling my boys, you have to look at them in the eye. You have to look at me in the eye when you talk to me. And they're much better right. But when they were younger. And if you really want to connect on a deeper level, you, it's called the left eye gaze. 
I basically look from my left eye into your left eye. And yeah. it's a lot easier to hear you and feel you as well when we're talking. Um, mm. But I, actually, it's funny you said that because I wrote down active listening. You can listen, but are you really actively listening? You know, I think that's it's work because like you just said, and um, I think we're just so whether it's the text that's going off or the, uh, you know, the updates on our, our Instagram or LinkedIn, we're, we're so being pinged. We're like this dopamine drop thing. We're like an electrical pulse is going on. And I think that's something that hopefully we'll, we'll figure it out over the next five to 10 years because it's got to change. I think people are walking around in a, not a higher vibration like Bob Marley would say, but like a kind of a toxic vibration. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, what, what I'm trying to do is, is I keep telling my boys, you know, look me in the eye, as you say, I keep telling them, you know, do you want to learn meditation? And, and right now they're saying, no, I don't really want to learn that from you. I guess that's what they're trying to say, but they see me every morning meditating. So I, I, I guess again, you know, it's modeling it. And then hopefully 10 years later, one day they'll say, Hmm, I want to try meditation. Or encourage them to learn it from someone else or a friend. Yeah, exactly. Because we know we're dads and what do we know? You know, I mean, that's the biggest challenge of being a dad is that they're, they're probably the appreciation's not there and there's a bit of kind of like we're try, they're trying to break out of their bound environment and press, you know, the, the flesh of, of make, doing it on their own and they're trying to break free. So there's that obviously resistance of adolescence that's just natural. So um, one of the things I was just skiing and... Um, I was on there with uh, with someone, and we're looking down at this this boyfriend trying to teach his girlfriend how to ski. I'm like, man, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Because the right. reality is, you should just get someone else to teach someone you love how to do it. Generally, because it could just break into this just horrible argument place of you know challenge. So that's probably one thing I found is that my dad teaching me tennis when I was younger wasn't good. It wasn't until I studied <laughs> with someone else. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Kids appreciate the effort that parents take. And, you know, sometimes it actually does work. Most of the time, you know, they would rather have another teacher. I, I remember, you know, I, I always wanted to put my kids to ski school and they would always want to, they said, look, you know, no, no, we want to learn from you because that was that age. And I said, you know, they were like five, six. And I said, look, you know, I'm not the best, but they said, I know, but still, you know, I, I feel more comfortable. I feel more safe, you know, teach me. I guess, you know, we have to stay in touch and, and realize what they need from us. And that's when we are at our best. Yeah. So, yeah, both can work. Just as a kind of a closing thought, if you had to give advice to somebody who is like a 16, 17-year-old, and what's, what's the one advice about being a good man? Um, it was a lesson my dad gave me at a very early age. It was before cell phones, before beepers, before anything. And we were supposed to meet at a dinner. Uh, I was supposed to meet my parents at, at a dinner at a restaurant. I was 16. And I think I showed up 45 minutes late to the dinner. Wow. Kind of like flipping, you know, maybe it was now. It was, a, it was definitely late. It wasn't like 5, 10, 20. It was like 30 to 45 minutes late. And they were furious. I didn't really understand why because, <laughs> you know, as a 16 year old, it's all the world revolves around yourself. We were worried about you was really at the end of the day. We didn't know where you were. We were, there was no way to communicate, you know? So I think the word was empathy at a very young age. I didn't realize what I had done to them, how upset mm. they were, how much they cared about me and loved me. 
and I grew up in New York City, so it wasn't just like, you know, and it was a bad time. Well, New York City's heading towards a bad time now, but it was in the real bad time of the city, and uh, everyone's getting mugged every day. So, yeah, I think that's it. It's empathy, you know, empathetic to your to the people that you meet, to your parents, to your friends. And, and I love, you know, what's going on for you and how can I help and, um, and understand that um, we're all going through this difficult journey called life, you know, together and that we're, we all don't have a handbook and we don't know how to deal with it. We're just every time things come up. So I, I think empathy, the one word would be for 16 year olds, learn about it, read about it, get an understanding in it and try to integrate it into your life. Yeah, I think that's great. It's uh it's basically this idea that, you know, we all have our foreheads and we don't see what's behind the forehead. We can't help, you know, even, even if we try our best, I can never read your mind. So yeah. I'm, I, I have no choice but to ask questions and, and listen. And I have to sort of ask those questions in a way that, you know, they are not causing wounds, but they're opening channels so so you feel like you're you're willing to share with me because i i truly want to listen to you yeah so that's yeah that's kind of an art N knowing how to be a man and be willing to ask and not assume um yeah. i think we know what assume stands for <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah i i learned that from uh, one of my first bosses who was in the army and yeah, he always told me don't assume because you you make an ass out of you yeah and me <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. There you go. Great. Thank you so much for being here. I, I'm, I'm really aiming to talk to hundreds of people and, and, and then putting this into a book. I have already spoke to uh, quite a few and you know, there, there are certain patterns that are, that are emerging. And, and I think purpose and listening and empathy those are key key buzzwords. Is there anything that, for, if you read a book about modern masculinity, that that you would like to, like this book to talk about? Hmm. Well, it's been a long time since Iron John has been written, and right. um, I think there should be some sort of um, clear pathway uh, and maybe place to go, um, as well as an initiation process, because. Really, that's what we're talking about, initiating from boyhood into manhood. And what does it mean to be a man? And you're using the word modern man. But yeah. I think it's just, you know, how do we get there? And what are some of the things, either places we can go, weekends we can, we can be involved in, books we can read, um, and, and also acts of service that we can do? Because the more we give, to me, that's, that's the modern man. And whatever that giving looks like. Whatever skill set you have, I think, is the key issue. So the book would, it would be open and have a lot of different aspects, what to read, you know, what to journal, maybe what are the different attributes that really assist us being, instead of modern, just being the best men that we can be right now in a toxic and kind of confused landscape. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. My view of, of modern masculinity is that as as a modern man, I need to learn to use at least three fundamental archetypal energies, and you know, one is playfulness. Mm. So you know, when things tense up, what 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 do I do? Do I get even more tense, and do I get violent, or am, am I going to open up and be flexible and listen? Yes. 
and so so that's the playfulness piece the the, the other one is uh, you know the warrior energy so can can i make decisions can i can I take a step when I need to take a step? Can I, can I stop somebody on the edge of the street when they need to be stopped and save them? So that's a warrior and, and I need that. And then there's the third energy, which is you know, fundamentally more female, but it's about embracing. It's about holding like a baby. You know, if somebody hurts, can I hold them? Can I acknowledge them? Can I be with them? Yeah, I would, I would definitely make sure the book has the four archetypes, you know, the warrior, the lover, lover. Magician, yeah. uh, and uh, um, but at the end of the day, and the king, because you can't forget the king, because right. we all have to be able to be in a place sometimes to jump between those four quadrants. So I think it's, is one right? No, it's what is the situation that's in front of us at that moment? And what energy do we need to bring out? You know, sometimes that, that magician is so important to survival. Yeah, love that. All right, so thank you for sharing your secret sauce. <laughs> I guess, you know, we, we all have our secret sauce and, and, and I think the elements, we agree, you and I, about these archetypes that, you know, you need each of them and you need to be conscious of these roles that you play and the moments you're in with the people you're in and, and, and be, bring the right mix. I just had a vision, Mickey. Yeah. If you're, I, I'm a, I'm a Batman fan. I, I happen to love the new Joker movie, which has gotten a lot of challenging reviews. But I thought it was he was brilliant. But as a Batman fan, I would say maybe there's even an illustration in your book, and you can use it if you want, where he's got the bat utility belt, which is what Batman carried around, and each, and he's got those pockets. He can pull out the King outfit. <laughs> the, right. You know, it's like whatever. As a superhero, you've got to be able to pull that stuff out when you need to. So anyway, didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, but, no that's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. I, I, I love the hero, you know, the, the hero archetype, because I think truly if we can think about our life as a story and, and we are a hero in it, that, that already gives us hope, right? Yeah. It's, it's not going to be easy, but right. we are heroes and we are not alone. There are other heroes. So let's yeah. stick together. Let's be mentors to each other. Amen. Amen. <laughs> thanks again for being here. Thank All right. You. Thanks. Thanks, Mickey. Look forward to reading the book. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Please check our webpage at www.mentorship.com www.mantorship.com Join our newsletter and learn about the Mentorship Coaching and other services and resources we offer. Keep listening to our podcast for more inspiration and motivation.